This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome back to Disaster Girls. Uh, we are here talking about disasters of all manner all the time. I am your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. And we don't like to kill time here when we've got when we've got a guest in the room with us. We don't want to talk over somebody just existing silently for 15 minutes. So guest, would you care to introduce yourself and the movie you have presented to us for today's watch? Uh, sure thing. I am uh, Jamel Bowie. I'm a New York Times opinion columnist, and I do other stuff uh, as well. <laughs> I host a podcast uh, called Unclear and Present Danger about the political thrillers of the 1990s. But oh. this, what I brought to y'all was not a political thriller. It was something, <laughs> um, I won't say sillier, because a lot of those movies are very silly. Uh-huh. Um, but it's something that I feel is extremely 1990s oh, uh, yes. in every single way. It is Anaconda. Starring Jennifer Lopez, Ice Cube, and John Voight, and Eric Stoltz. Yep. yep. Uh, and it is a uh, wonderfully silly little movie, and I, I hope I hope you guys had fun with it. Oh yeah, this is this is a family favorite in the Cruciola house. I remember the day we the evening we all watched the video we had rented from Canby Video together, and distinctly, I have a vivid memory of when they're in the last bit when they're the boat like goes aground on that big rock near where there's going to be the final confrontation with the anaconda and John Voight. When they leave that area, I remember watching it and I was like, wait, rewind that. And as we played it back, you got the to see waterfall the waterfall in the background was going the proper direction down mm-hmm. because all it is doing in real time is going re- in reverse. The waterfall <laughs> is just going in reverse. And I feel like it is a real assessment of anaconda that this movie just at a certain point started rewinding the tape to be like finish it just just finish it we got to get it out of post like get this fucking movie out in the world we got no more money for craft services (laughs) Uh. how do we get this boat out of here i don't know play the tape back sounds good to me (laughs) what's so funny is you don't need that moment you don't need to see the boat reversing and in fact because i've never i've i've only heard legend of that moment i've never actually seen anaconda until this watch and I had to rewind it multiple times because I kept being like, okay, I'm going to watch for it. And then I'd inevitably get distracted by anything else in the room for those three seconds where you showed that clip. You don't need it, but I'm so glad this movie has it. I I mean, that's a key reality index moment. Water backwards waterfall. The the famous Amazonian backwards reverse waterfalls, of course. So when did you first see this see this movie, Jamal? That's a great question. I think (laughs) this must be a movie. I mean my parents didn't really like monitor my viewing at all as a child. (laughs) Same. Uh, So I must've seen this and I know we lived, I grew up in Virginia beach and we, there's um, a theme park called Kings dominion uh, near Richmond. And there was for a hot minute, maybe long, I mean longer, but an old wooden roller coaster that they branded the Anaconda roller coaster. And I remember riding that roller coaster when I was 10 years old and being totally aware of what the movie Anaconda was. <laughs> so 
at least I, I was at least 10 years old when I saw the movie Anaconda and it has been I wouldn't a favorite is too strong. It's more like if I need something mindless to watch. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I need to I need people to glance up and like laugh <laughs> yeah. at something. Then this is this is the movie. This is the movie that scratches that particular itch. And you said this movie is so 90s. And that is so true that in this movie, Eric Stoltz is the love interest of Jennifer Lopez. This movie is so 90s. So I I always forget about that. And then when I see it on screen, I'm like, this is the wildest thing I've ever (laughs) seen. Your brain protects you from it. And then it comes (laughs) crashing back in again. This movie is so 90s that it co-stars Kari Wurrer as the production manager. And you know what? This movie has the fucking distinction of allowing Kari Wurrer to keep her clothes on. And for that, Anaconda deserves a high five. Because you can go through a 90s filmography of Kari and there's going to be a through line. And it is that. So bravo to Anaconda for letting Kari just be a woman in the woods wearing survival gear. Snaps to you. It is a surprising, for a movie that features, I mean, at the time, when I read the, the, the Ebert review, and Jennifer Lopez is, you know, Jennifer Lopez last, you know, from Selena in yeah. parentheses, because she's not J-Lo yet. But for a movie that wasn't starring Jennifer Lopez, they mm-hmm. do a great job of not, I was expecting a lot more J-Lo in wet tank tops without bras. Mm-hmm. It was a restrained, <laughs> yeah. a restrained choice on their no, part. No, like, a, no, no real ass shots or anything. No, just, yeah. just get that. Just, you just get like two and they're mostly for plot purposes. Yeah. And it just like, you know, it's a 90s B movie. Like that's kind of baked in. So the fact that it's not more ogling than it is, is a refreshing thing to experience. I, so th- I was about to say, well, I wonder if that's because it was directed by a woman. And then I realized that because last night I watched Anaconda and Marry Me back to back. Oh, I'm having problems distinguishing between the two. <laughs> See, that's very that feels very uniquely you. Like you're just having no. movie blindness the way you have name blindness. I know. But I was about to be like, yeah, well, I wonder if it's because it didn't have the male gaze. And I was like, nope, damn it, Amanda, that's Marry Me. That was Marry Me again. Right, not, yeah. Not the giant snake movie. There are not, uh, you know, latex-clad nuns dancing in Anaconda. Oh, but if there were. Yeah. That's the only thing this film was missing. Yeah. Now, Amanda, were you, were you like, this is on target with what I an- anticipated with the sort of, you know, I feel like a high stature that Anaconda holds in the disaster movie, animal conversation. Or were you like, I wanted more. I I was so surprised by so much of this movie. Um, first of all, like, and I don't know why this isn't, I, I mean, I guess it's not talked about much because it's Anaconda and it's also <laughs> disaster movies, but this is a movie that you have Eric Stoltz there is like, we have to have him in this, but this is a movie about two people of color trying mm-hmm. to get survive the Amazon and that's it. And that's like, you will never see a movie where the two leads, you've got, you know, Ice Cube and then you've got J-Lo. You're never going to see a big disaster movie with those two leads in the 90s or in their 2000s. That's the thing about the 90s. That's the thing about the 90s, though. The way that the effort that we are making right now to get to some semblance of screen parody with women, queer folks, people of color, there was a renaissance of queer cinema in the 90s that is that surpasses, I think, the sort of queer liberation sensibility that we're at now. And there was a black cinema movement in the 1990s that is was much richer and was much more, was allowed to be much more narratively diverse and sort of filled with personality and individualism in the way that it feels like 
black cinema is kind of painted with a broad brush at times now in conversation. And so it's kind of like you have like you have Wesley Snipes is huge in the 90s. You have Whoopi Goldberg is huge in the 90s. You have Ice Cube is huge in the 90s. Jennifer Lopez is huge in the 90s. Like the the black superstardom that was able to flourish in the 1990s. It's like it's like we wiped the chessboard a bit in the 2000s and early 2010s where it's like, hmm, we just willfully went backwards on this thing when there was like a pretty fascinating artistic blooming happening in that decade. I mean- I mean, to that point, I mean, you look at the career of someone like John Singleton, mm. who I feel who I feel like is sort of the archetypal 90s director. And yeah, yeah. certainly the, the person who I think deserves a lot of credit for helping usher in this black renaissance in film and his filmography. You know, there's Boys in the Hood, which is, you know, one of the hood movies of the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But then you have Poetic Justice mm-hmm. and Higher Learning um, and Baby Boy, mm-hmm. which are like very different kinds of movies like rom-coms like mm-hmm. romance heavy um rosewood is a big sort of like westerny adventure movie i mean there's a lot of diversity mm-hmm. within its output in that decade in a way that like i don't think the only person working in hollywood today that i think has anything close to a comparable career is someone like ryan coogler mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's uh, a fair a fair comparison um but yeah just to the point that like there was yeah. There was uh, both the Wayans in, brothers were a comedy economy at yeah, the time. Right, like right. I grew up on those movies. Grew there up was. on the Living Color. Grew up on the on the on the 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 way. What's it called? The way the Wayans brothers show the Wayans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I think you're I just. I, you're, I think you're absolutely right about that that observation. That for yeah. whatever reason, whether it's the economy of Hollywood in the '90s, the you know the whatever it is, mm-hmm. there was I think a a surprising amount of space for black actors and filmmakers to do kind of like more interesting work and not, mm-hmm. not so um, not be so siloed into like quote unquote black movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels too, like there was um like in the way that they're like stunt casting, particularly in horror was very popular in the two thousands. Like let's put a, Let's put a famous female figure from somewhere in like the socialite zeitgeist. Let's grab a Paris Hilton. Let's grab an Audrina Patridge. And then it was also very popular at the time to cast hip hop stars. Like let's put Busta Rhymes in Halloween 8. Let's put uh, Trey Songz in Texas Chainsaw 3D. And by that point, it had reached this sort of level of novelty. Whereas in the 90s, there was a very valid and artistically interesting crossover between film and the hip hop community where you have Tupac doing yeah, legitimate Tupac. screen yeah. work. Right. You have yeah. Ice Cube doing legitimate screen work going on to have like, had he lived longer, I bet Tupac would have could have had a career similar to Ice Cube's where he sort of became a film star unto himself in that way. And it wasn't flattened yet to this side of notion of novelty. Ice Cube's fucking fantastic in this movie. Ice Cube's so fucking good in this. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, that was the thing. Like, I was not, I was not expecting a movie where, like, one, J Lo spends most of her time with Ice Cube, and there's not, a, it's not a romantic thing. It's a totally yeah. platonic. We're told straight off the bat, like they go back to USC together. They're buddies. Oh, like, say, it's is, USC, right? Like they're USC. in the film program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like, I was not expecting a movie where we basically get a Trojan horse of Eric Stoltz. And then all of a sudden (laughs) it's sort of this mix of like a hangout film combined with like Ice Cube just trying to deck the shit out of John Voight. And who doesn't want to see that? I absolutely love that Eric Stoltz gets fridged in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, halfway just, through, it's just sort of like he's done. He's out. He's done. He had he an he emergency gets, he gets disaster movie, movie, and then he gets disaster movie mom wasting disease basically at a certain mm-hmm. point, and then it's like he's consigned to his bed yeah. until we need him again. Which he'll be I fine. Love. He's just got a neck wrap on and a hole in his throat. It's totally cool. He can survive like four to five days on the river like that. We we just accept that out. It's of humid out. I, th- I think you sorry. I think you mean the river. The river. <laughs> the river. <laughs> colloquially professionally referred to in the term of art the river um and where where is john void's character is he uruguay paraguay 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 yes naturally just um he's a a former a former priest turned poacher which is like that is the that is oftentimes what happens like you have two options when you drop out of fear the priesthood (laughs) yeah and one of those routes is is to become a, an animal poacher. That's just like a rule. And so it made I totally tracked. That. I was like, yep, of course he's going to be a poacher because Anna, you know, Amanda like that. was a path to the cloth. What led you to your passion for dinosaurs? No, no, no. See, that's when when you're Jewish, um, uh, you, you have a different path. That's it. you have a different path. Yes, of course. Of I course. had my bat mitzvah, and they're like, you can have one of three interests. And I was like, is dinosaurs one of them? And they said yes. And I said, today I am a woman. <laughs> I mean, while we're talking about John Voight, I mean, this is this is just so John Voight has an interesting 90s, right? Because he kind of comes back Mm -hmm. out of obscurity with Mm -hmm. Mission Impossible, with De Palma's Mission Impossible, Mm. which is a great performance from him, a great movie. And that's only, I think, two years prior to this. And I'm not (laughs) I'm not entirely sure what he's doing in that time, but he, (laughs) he, he shows up in this. (laughs) He's working on that accent (laughs) with this absolutely insane accent. His the the, the line that that I I referenced that always sticks out to me is he's just talk. He's always sort of casually talking with a knife in his hands, (laughs) and he's saying something to someone, and he says, um, "And I'm trying. I gotta get. I gotta get at least the uh, the phonetics of this right." He says, uh, "This river can kill you in a thousand ways." I love that everything he says is like it, the, the accent that I'm getting from John Voight in this is like Tony Montana Novocaine up, like just <laughs> like marbles in his mouth, sort of Cuban Al Pacino, but puffy. And it is like the 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 grim the scowl that he wears the entire movie. It's like, did you? After after you film this, did you just have to like really work those muscles out because you would work yourself into like a static state of just like frozen scowl forever? And that like this this is like I don't know if, I don't know what camp is, but I feel like this performance could be camp. <laughs> <laughs> when he, when the when the snakes when the snakes fall into the boat, oh my babies, God. all of them babies, all the babies, all the babies, babies, just. Like, I don't know why he made any of the choices that he made in this film. And I'm so glad he made every single one of them. And he made them definitively. Yes. No, he never, (laughs) he never, one of the things like with Moonfall, one of the biggest problems I had with Moonfall was that there were a lot of times where it didn't feel like any of the actors were really in the same scene as, (laughs) as what was happening with them, you know, like there's a gravity wave and they're all very blase about it. And yeah. I, One guy fully stops to watch. Yeah. There was never, a, there was never a real sense of impending doom. And with John Voight, uh, say what you will about the man personally, yeah, but professionally he does commit. 
I don't know whether that was his own hair in that ponytail, but I, I'm assuming that if it wasn't, he slept in it every night. <laughs> yeah, it didn't come off. Yeah, it that didn't come off. That hair was part of the character <clears throat> that he had. That ponytail was part of the character and he stayed in character. That man point. wanted to, I'm sure that man wanted to sleep on the ground in the jungle every night. He was like, because that's what that's what that's what my man would do. That's what my character would do. It, it is one of the greasiest ponytails ever committed to oh, film. Wow. It's like it's like Funny. that and Colin Farrell and Miami Vice. Like oh. those are the two. <laughs> oh, just like thinking of that is like nausea. Like I can I can like smell the odor of like that like tropical sweat in oh. in in that assessment. Okay, now, Jamel, I'm very, because it's with your podcast, you talk 90s political thrillers. I have a theory that the 90s are the weirdest decade of cinema of all time, in part because we're at this crazy, we are about ready to off-ramp into like digital ubiquity, but we're not quite there yet. And obviously we get a lot of digital snake in this, but we get a lot of practical snake too. And so there's kind of no choice but to make these extravagant, big, ridiculous movies using practicals like Alien Resurrection, like Alien 3, all the Schumacher Batman, like the Shadow, the the Phantom. Like there's this incredible landscape of practically done movies because we have no other choice with such an incredible exploding gamut of cinema. Like we were talking about queer cinema and black cinema earlier, but also independent cinema and like the Sundance space. It is, it's almost like, when a startup exists and it comes in before there it's created and there are no laws to regulate it. So you have to play catch up. Be like, Oh my God, how do we regulate? How do we regulate the craziness of the startup? It's like, how did we regulate the nineties? And then the two thousands like sucked so much of the uniqueness out of it. I would love to hear about you. I would love to hear you talking about Anaconda as a deeply nineties experience. Yeah. I, you know, I have, I have not bothered to look at who worked on the production on this, but I probably should because one of my theories about the 90s mm-hmm. with regards to the, the kind of, again, the extra, extravagant use of um, practical effects mm-hmm. uh, is that it's just sort of it's this it's this, you know, this period where the practitioners are more or less at the end of their career. Right? The people right. who got started in the in the 70s or the late 60s and the 70s mm-hmm. are more or less reaching retirement age. So in a decade, they're all, all either going to be out of the business or, you know, like dead. Yeah. Um, and as like a parenthetical, and I, I was talking about this with regards to 90s political films, it's not for nothing mm. that some of the best uh, 90s political thrillers are from like last gas from directors from the 60s and 70s, like Ronan from Frankenheimer. Um I just lost. There's another. I have another one on the tip of my tongue, but um, uh, I, th- I think I think you just have this thing where lots of people kind of at the top of their game in terms of craft and ability, mm-hmm. um, all working on all sorts of stuff, right? All whatever comes across because people got to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's like Anaconda to me is it's such a quintessential '90s movie. First of all, because it is there were all of these kind of like animal thrillers there's yes. congo mm-hmm. another one um with the talking apes yeah. uh, <laughs> amy amy want green drop drink yeah yeah uh uh you had i don't know why why you had sort of big natural disaster movies obviously like titanic and twister sort of like this was kind of there was nothing in terms of there were 
there were comic book movies, but the mm-hmm. superhero movie as like its own genre didn't exist yet. It was kind yeah. of like mm-hmm. another, it was like a, it was like a sub genre or it was a, just a subset of the, just a summer blockbuster. Like there yeah. was nothing. Yeah. It was a, it was a component of tentpole movies. Right. Right. It was sort of like, you know, Armageddon and Batman and Robin would come out the same summer. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, one was opposed to another or whatever. Yeah. They're just sort of like, these are the blockbusters this summer. Um, so and it kind of like fits into that milieu of sort of like this kind of B movie summer spectacle. Um, we've already talked about J Lo and Ice Cube, but <laughs> it, it remain it should be emphasized. They you know even as their careers have had a lot of longevity, and J Lo is still very like a, I think kind of a vital person in the mm-hmm. culture. Um, they're also just like very '90s celebrities, right? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. like they're 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 much of their careers is tied to the 90s, the thing that made them famous or tied to the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Ice Cube as this tentpole actor, I think, is a very 90s thing. I mean, he's had an yeah. acting career past that, but yeah. the 90s are kind of where he he um, he kind of develops uh, that part of his career. Mm-hmm. So there's there's just sort of that. Um, the, the mix of practical effects and sort of bad CGI <laughs> yeah. is, is like very <laughs> emblematic of this which, kind of movie which Ebert um, fucking loved by the way he amazing. you can't wow. tell the difference it's all amazing it's a feast <laughs> for the eyes like he was super fucking into the cgi what he he Incredible. specifically cites owen wilson's face in the stomach of oh i mean which movie, is a great shot but you really like, can't oh you can't un overstate the iconography is the the swimming with Owen Wilson in the belly of the anaconda, yeah. the jaw popping out of John Boyd's face, and then his subsequent winking before dying when all of his bones have turned yep. to jelly. And for me, right up there with like the uh, pet cemetery Achilles tendon slash is Eric Stoltz getting the tracheotomy yeah from fucking john boyd like even when i watched that again today and i saw that moment i was like oh my god this has stuck with me so vividly over time there's there's never an emergency tracheotomy which isn't like (laughs) viscerally horrifying that's just a rule of tracheotomies it's just (laughs) you're never gonna see one on film that's like oh that's not bad (laughs) yeah they happen a lot in movies i'm sure much more than in in real life i don't think (laughs) uh I think people are getting just holes jammed in their throats all the time. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I want. I, I really should have looked this up. I, I would. I would bet real money that there are also sort of like movie tie-ins, like you know. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. A McDonald's meal or like a yeah. you know a, a Burger King mug. I don't know. Um, back yeah, then, the art that, that they was- had with fast food tie-ins was like kind of awesome. Like I saw yeah. somebody on Twitter the other day posted like finally got like those original Batman McDonald's partnership glasses from the nineties. And I was like, that is gorgeous. That's like something that Mondo would commission now. <laughs> and it's not like a plastic collector's cup. They're fucking glasses. They, are they, they were, they were glasses. glass, like molded glass <laughs> frosted mugs <laughs> that you got with like a big Mac to commemorate <laughs> Batman and Robin. Every night at dinner, I would have my drink at the table out of my molded glass Batman muck. That is what Matt was my favorite dinner dinner accompanying beverage. 
Um, but overall, I don't know. I, th- I think it's hard to watch this movie and not just like come a- come away with this extremely 1990s vibe. Like maybe not. It's not sort of like, you know, the most emblematic movie of the 90s, but it sure. certainly has just like, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> It's not like the most emblematic movie of the 90s, but certainly just has that vibe all the mm-hmm. way through. Yeah. No, it's got it's got the the vibe of you can kind of feel the soundstage in the same way that with Congo, you can really just feel when they're on a soundstage. Yeah. <laughs> it has just like all of the dynamics of you know, they've got sort of the slacker character and Owen Wilson. Owen uh, Wilson, which just Owen getting Wilson, started just show, Owen showing Wilson. up and Owen Wilsoning all over the place and then getting <laughs> eaten by a giant snake. All you could want, all you could ask for. That's, that is the other reason that Marry Me and Anaconda have just kind of merged in my head is because right. it is an Owen Wilson J-Lo reunion. Reunion. Um, but man, yeah, it's uh, everything. Like it's just sort of the, the amorphous, we're gonna, the premise, which doesn't have the exoticism of the 70s and 80s disaster movies where you mm-hmm. would get much like, uh, remember that the the movie the the, Alli- the great alligator yeah. that we watched that had like that was the Italian seventies movie yeah where it's got a lot of the, that sort of exoticism of the local cultures and with this it doesn't have any of that aspect it really is just sort of like you're going to be on the jungle cruise at Disneyland <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the animal's going to try and eat you and I I love that they just kept it simple like that that they just kept it straightforward and you know, really just leaned into this one dude is a real fucking menace and maybe yeah. the true, is the true monster man sort of thing. And I, I appreciated that they didn't try to get any deeper than that. He's a real fucking menace, that guy. He is. I don't think there's any other way to describe his character yeah. than just he's a fucking menace. Like, what the fuck? Who, who just has access to killer wasps? A fucking <laughs> menace. That's who. That's that's true. Small acts of sabotage. The hallmark of menaces. Do you want us to give you more time, or would you like us to keep filling? Uh, sorry, I'm good. I'm getting over no, a cold. No, it's okay. Don't worry. Sorry, I just had like a sudden no coughing it's fit. Not a problem. It happens in the year 2022 when people have to randomly cough. It's not <laughs> a thing that people are phased by anymore. <laughs> um, no. One thing I wanted I wanted to say was that. You know, when I saw this movie as a kid, obviously the snake is like the villain. Yes. But watching it as an adult, I'm sort of like, I don't know, is the snake the hero? Because like, <laughs> yeah. should, they, should they be disturbing this tribe? I mean, they kind of, it's like, it kind of like a, a plot point that really kind of disappears after a while. But they are there to film this reclusive tribe. Yes. The mm-hmm. people of the mist. And it's also because like with the, with the people of it, it's, I appreciate that it kind of falls off the radar of what we're watching because particularly any, you know, we're only just now starting to be conscientious of, of these issues in cinema. It's like the nineties wasn't like a time I was going to be like, you know, I bet this tribe will be handled with respect and dignity if we see more of them in this film. And so fortunately we don't really hear much about them and we don't really see much of them. And I think that's all for the better. It can feel more like the ride at Disneyland that way. Yeah, and I think that once you've got a movie in which there's multiple giant snakes, <laughs> you've got enough to work with plot-wise. Like, you're set there. Yeah. You don't need to have any, like, I give me the flimsiest of excuses about why they're in the in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then I can forget about it once the giant snake, once they blow up the gate blocking the giant snake. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. 
giant snake gate. Let's stop this. Let's just do this now. I didn't even, I mean, like, sure, at the end when they show up and, like, I guess thank them for killing their snake god, which I didn't, I, it was it was like I didn't totally get what their motivation was there because as far as I can tell, they did worship the snake as a god. Yes. But, meh, I just wanted to see more snake stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean, we, like, the, the movie's ending and you're like, God, what's it? Like, are they going to give me, are they going to give me a flaming snake? Are they going did, to give that, me? That question occurred to you because I could not have ever predicted a snake on fire. That is shot of like the actual imploding stone tower with yeah. like it breaks open and then you get that second, you get that second. And then you see pillar of snake fire falling <laughs> into the river. That is fucking magic right there. It's that a good was, shot. That is what disaster movies are built on. I, I did immediately turn to my dog and go, it's a snake on fire. <laughs> In the same way that like Casper Van Jeans, it, it's a fire tornado. A tornado made a fire. A, a tornado made a fire. And it's also like, and the snake, like I felt like that, like as you were saying, Jamal, like as a grown up, like I watch it and I'm like, oh no, snake. Like, <laughs> oh God. And then like, he's just writhing around on fire. It's like snake, go underwater. Anaconda submerge like you're on fire we can put this out like I, I was getting very like save yourself snake and you, you kind of feel like you feel the sense too that a thing I appreciate about this movie is that Ice Cube and Jennifer Lopez would not be trying to kill this snake if they didn't absolutely have to they are on the side of conservation and I do like that about our heroes they don't want to blow up the the dam they're like, we don't want to fuck up this entire ecological system. And then, of course, you know, entitled British man is like, just blow it up. And he's, of course, the bastard. But I, I like that our heroes are not delighting in snake slaughter. Right, right. They, they. I mean, Ice Cube and, and Jennifer Lopez, they simply want to get back to save Eric Stoltz. Uh, <laughs> it's John Voight who wants to hunt the snake for money. And then Owen Wilson is like, yeah, I'll do it as well. Yeah, Owen Wilson, as we is a man without scruples in this film and a man without any sort of really discernible plan in this film as well. And <laughs> he's just kind of horny. That's like his whole character. In the movie. <laughs> yeah, whole First, character. He's, he's horny for women. He's horny for money. Like those are his two priorities. And you're I in terms of reality index, if you tell me that, yeah, like third quadrant of three or four quadrants are going to be horny for money, horny for women, horny for weed. Those for are weed. three. Yeah. Yeah, those are at least three of the four interests that I believe that Owen Wilson has in any film. Ah, the Owen specifically. Okay, like any Owen character Owen Wilson is going to be playing. Got you're it. Not gonna, you're not casting Owen Wilson to play a character whose like main priorities in life are like solving a quadratic equation that will save the world. I don't know. That that was the most mathy term I could think of at the moment was quadratic. Right, yeah. Which is but not then, a then it place. also makes it like, I can imagine him doing that because it would be the ultimate subversion of Owen Wilson to be that guy. right. But they would much like it's almost the ultimate subversion of Owen Wilson to be the one and only man for Jennifer Lopez. Well, if there's one skill set Jennifer Lopez has, it's making unextraordinary white dudes seem remarkable next. Year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. Jamel gives an approving nod at that. That is her that's, superpower. That's. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, like. If you look at her filmography, mm -hmm. damn, she's good at it. Yeah. She can look when she looks. And I, I, I imagine that part of the she whole thing will with sell she, that she doesn't think that's a compromise. 
Right. Like, I know you're not supposed to look J-Lo directly in the eyes is always the the myth around her. But I think mm-hmm. that's partly because if she looks directly at you, she will gaze upon you with such, like, respect and esteem and love. Well, maybe. If she's intending to make eye contact with you. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she There's a power in her gaze, like reverse Medusa. I'll say this, Jennifer Lopez had an interesting couple years because Anaconda's in 97, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. in 98, she's in Out of Sight, which is, yeah. you know, a terrific right. movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she's riding, she is at that point in time, riding the Selena sort of wave, like the same kind of way that we see with like Hillary Swank after she wins her Oscar, she does the core. Because well, okay, but also getting, Hillary no. Swank either is making an Oscar-winning movie or the worst movie you've ever seen. But That's no, I the think law this is of Hillary sort of, Swank. This is sort of that post-big break it girl sort of movie trajectory where you're just getting a lot of scripts and mm. your agent is telling you to take the interesting one <laughs> and then also take the blockbuster to show that you can open a movie. Like they're right. these are these are definitely a weird out of sight is a weird choice to follow Anaconda, but it also completely tracks with the kind of trajectory of career. I mean, that you expect to see from someone who's just having a breakout film where she's probably still getting called Selena on the street. Yeah, I will. And I, I will say to the point of looking at Jennifer Lopez, the one awards gala I have ever gone to is the Indie Spirits the year she was nominated for Hustlers. And I got like people are just walking around. there, just walking all around there between all the commercial breaks and just walking around, checking stuff out. And Jennifer Lopez was like at the center front table, like one best. So she was like, she was right in the eye line of the cameras for like the stage, but she was also just tucked slightly back. So she wasn't accessible. And I'm not thinking I'm going to access Jennifer Lopez. Absolutely not. But it was shocking to walk near her and like, just look over and note it, regard her presence. And there was almost like there was one light coming down from the ceiling, shining specifically on her. And I felt like I needed, I like moved over. I was far away from her and I still moved over over not because it was like oh no she's awful it was just like there's such a halo radiating off of this star i'm like oh i mm, i got too close like i'm too close to the sun i should give i should give her room there are all these people around her but i feel like i need to give her a wider a wider birth right now because that's it was actually just like, her that's fucking star power that's actually a mandate for any of her appearances <clears throat> is that she does have to have a solo spot with a uh, soft like a soft gel on it, it was, at all times. It was a soft golden glow. Yeah. It was I've, unbelievable. Uh, you know, it's sort of, she just, that's, she brings that spot with her everywhere because <laughs> you need to make, ensure that you have flattering light. That's yeah. Do you want me at your show? Yeah. Then I'm going to need that spot with this kind of gel put on the, on the, <laughs> yeah. on the, not camera, on the light. And that's just the rule because it's JLo and that's what she deserves. And that makes like, this makes us like, it makes Anaconda like one of those incredible time capsules where yeah. it's like, wow, this is, I, I'm not saying JLo wouldn't her do hair an Anaconda. Was still curly. I think that, that moment when she, when you first see her and she's like gorgeous and beautiful and some, for some reason wearing like a flimsy white slip, but whatever, <laughs> but her, and she's got her curls still. And you're like, right. This was the pre-fame flat iron phase. Well, and we also loved curls in the 90s. Look at a Julia Roberts. Well, are we still Look allowed, at a Nicole Kidman. Like, we did still allow curls in the 90s. This was, I mean, even like, I don't even think Madeline Stowe has curly hair and Madeline Stowe had curled hair. Ma- Mary Master Antonio, we loved a ringlet in the 1990s. It is, she, she is so much better than this movie needed her to be. <laughs> in general. And- 
I mean, Ice Cube too is so much better than this movie needed him to be. You know what I miss conceptually about like when this movie came out is knowing that because like you have streaming, we don't have the internet. If we did, you were an early adopter. The fact that like you made a, you made a movie like this and this movie was going to open in screens across America. This wasn't going to be like, oh, we can just like throw that. Uh, we can just throw that onto streaming. Like, never mind. Like, forget we said anything, you guys. Like when they did that with the other Cloverfield movie at like, guess what? It's going to be on Netflix after the Super Bowl. This was, you made this with the intent for this to open wide in theaters across America. That was the bet you made on a movie like Anaconda. And that is a beautiful bet that I really mourn that we don't have the luxury of anymore. And Anaconda was a hit. It made like $137 million. Yes. Yeah, it opened the blockbuster season of 97. Like it was, an April, it was released in it was released in April. This was the opening of the blockbuster because fuck yeah. Why wouldn't you want to watch the movie about the giant snakes in the in in the Amazon? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I I, gar- I guarantee you that the weekend it opened it was like, "Hey, you want to go see Selena and the giant snake movie?" That was like <laughs> that was what people were saying. Yeah. You want to go see Selena and Ice Cube and the giant snake movie? And what yes. more do you need as a log line, though? That was watching watching all the commercials for the Super Bowl. That was the thing that was like, man, I really miss when it was the event was partly seeing a new blockbuster that was going to be coming out in yeah. this late spring that wasn't part of that was like an original other than I mean, there was Nope. That was, I think, the only one that I saw that right. was like an, an original IP sort of thing. I was like, OK, cool. This is not something I've seen that is part of an expanded universe of Marvel. Man, can you imagine how much fun this would have been to have seen this at the suit? Like this definitely had a Super Bowl trailer. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I honestly think that if a movie, like if you made this movie today, Mm -hmm. I mean, it probably would go straight to like Amazon or something, but if there were like a, a, a Super Bowl trailer, people would go nuts for it. Yeah. I think we are, we're at this point too. I think like emotionally, we kind of need this. Like, obviously like Twitter is the world in some ways and it's not, it's not the world in others. Like I don't, I don't, I don't ascribe to the notion of like Twitter isn't the real world. It's like, well, it is a cacophony of voices coming from all quadrant. Like Twitter is a condensed version of personality disorders. That's all it. And I say that someone who is on Twitter from the moment she wakes up to the moment she goes to sleep, it is a holding pen for personality disorders. Well, well, especially like if you're in the orbit of media people, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And like, I was going to say that's, that's reflective too of, of, of a specific quadrant. I think all three of us existed in some capacity, but like I, in my own life, I do not have a social circle that is reflective of the diversity of this world. That is something that is true about me. It's not the, it's not the best quality about me, but it is accurate. But the sphere of voices that I try to pull together around me within Twitter is much more reflective of the broad scope of humanity experiencing the world on a daily basis than my very homogenous circle that exists around me in real life. And that, that to me is my most valuable aspect of, of how I experience Twitter. But like the, and the reason I only brought this up was like Moonfall, all of the people who went and saw Moonfall are Disaster Girls listeners. That's how many people went and saw Moonfall. But I did the math. Did we talk about this before? You, yeah, I did. You, you know, did I know I math. told you, did I, te- I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. I did the math and given the number of sales of tickets and given the last time that I got numbers from Jason about how, what our listener base is, <laughs> yeah. 
I think that 1% of, <laughs> if every single person who listens to this podcast went to go see Moonfall, then mm-hmm. 1% of the ticket, 1% to 2% of the ticket sales came directly from this podcast. I believe that. I will maintain that. I don't care if anybody proves otherwise. I will maintain that as <laughs> my alternative set of facts. Yeah. 1% to 2% of everybody who's in a theater for Moonfall listens to this podcast because that's what we do. And I, I only bring it up because it, it, the way that that trailer was experienced when that came out, there was a joyfulness around the simplicity of the idea of Moonfall that was like, you know what, guys? Fucking awesome. And you know what did better at Mo- Moonfall at the box office that weekend? Jackass. Yeah. Jackass had a great opening weekend. There's this this comfort food kind of thing. Like, I, like you said, I think if that trailer for Anaconda came out right now, it would have a similar kind of like, moonfall jackass reception of like, I can't wait to have a nice time at the movies and just feel good or maybe feel nothing for a couple of hours while I just sort of get away from things. And I think there is such a beautiful value in that where the, we could take for granted, I think at the time, the uncomplicated nature of an anaconda. And now something uncomplicated feels like such a refuge. Well, I mean that like, so for example, I'm going to go see this Batman movie in March. I'm sort of like, you bet I'll be there. I love Batman. I mean, I'm going to go see it, but like, if you're just a person, right. Who knows Batman exists. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. like, okay, new Batman movie. Is this connected to any of the, like the prior 20 Batman movie, Batman Mm -hmm. movies. There will be lists that come out on various websites that are, here's what you need to know about the Batman before you go to the Batman. Here's what Batman's you need to have watched before you go to the Batman. And it's like, that's, exhausting like mm-hmm. that's like mm-hmm. I, even even as someone who grew up reading comic books mm-hmm. and whose brain is like shaped by co- like the way comic book narratives operate it's just an exhausting way to yeah. attempt to watch a movie sometimes you just want to like you just want to go to the theater and see a movie and lately i mean late i know for me lately i have been trying actually very hard to avoid seeing things about movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um before I before I go to them, the last I guess this would be pre pandemic, but I remember just like I had a day off and I had nothing to do in the afternoon, so like I went to the movie theater and I was like, oh, Phantom Thread, I don't know what that's about, and I just went to go see it, there you and come. then I was like, oh, this is amazing, this God, is incredible, I had a great time. What a sense of discovery that is! It just it felt so good, yeah. just sort of like yeah. I, I don't know anything about this whatsoever, and uh, hey, here we go. Uh, and and that that just like doesn't this sort of doesn't exist for that may exist for like arty movies or yeah whatever. yeah like I'll go to some Lemley theater and be like okay spin the wheel like what's here that I've never heard of but it doesn't really exist for blockbusters or mm-hmm. anything that is like you know populist in any way directed towards like the public at large like if you if it's something that is meant to just be kind of like a fun time at the movies. Yeah. It is either going to be connected to some like convoluted continuity yeah. <laughs> or, 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 I mean, it doesn't exist, right? I mean, that's, that was, or, <laughs> that's, yeah, or it's just not a thing that we see anymore. Right. Like it's Jurassic world four or it's on streaming because they're not releasing it to theaters or it's moonfall, but that doesn't count. Moonfall, <laughs> moonfall is an outlier and should not be counted. Well, I think, yeah, you're totally, you're right though. Yeah. I think you're right about too, even in the context of like repertory theaters, which God bless repertory theaters, please support repertory theaters, like go see classics played up. But like, 
you go to repertory screenings because you heard something about a thing because you, oh, I've been meaning to see that, or that's one on my list. I haven't checked off yet. It's, I feel like the, the approach to a repertory screening is like to go see something familiar that you get a chance to see on a big screen. I, I've got tickets today to see Jennifer's body for the, I don't know how many at the time, but on 35 millimeter this time at the new Beverly theater. Oh, and so the ending will be different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally, I've been waiting since 2009 to have that justice. And <laughs> so even in the, like the beautiful tradition of, of repertory cinema, there is that approach with familiarity and study and research and acquaintance to be truly surprised by a multiplex experience, not like a little art house theater. That is like, God, to just like not know and then be like, walk out of like Paul Thomas Anderson's latest acclaimed masterpiece. Like what a fucking like needle in a haystack kind of joy to experience. I, I, I'm trying, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I've had this experience somewhat recently with a blockbuster, but I cannot, with I cannot think of it. Impressive. It must've like, been. I, I just pandemic. wandered into this little old movie known as what installment of what superhero. And I thought, <laughs> God, this could be big someday. You guys, <laughs> I guess it's so kind I of have... a joyful thing about horror movies is because it's such a roulette with like, you know, you know, when A24 puts them now, this is going to be vetted for quality. But like when it's something that just kind of like lands on Netflix, you're like, shit, this is in the recommendations algorithm and I'll throw this on. And there's too much to have possibly too much available to have possibly investigated this one small thing that came in from Austria or some new filmmaker out of Georgia. There's there's that sense of discovery with genre film like that, where it's like this is either going to be awful or it could be a buried treasure. But either way, there's going to be blood and guts. I mean, that's kind of the joy of most of the non-blockbusters that we cover on here. Like, who among us would have expected Earth Catastrophe? I cannot explain to you. To be one of our greatest hits. Why or how that became a movie called Earth Catastrophe was one of the movies that I walked away being like, wow, that is what cinema is made for. It is a movie <laughs> called Earth Catastrophe. And it is like a sci-fi level produced by probably is, the asylum stature yeah. of disaster movie. It, and yet somehow it pulls... It pulls off something that I don't even think Christopher Nolan could pull off. <laughs> and I think that's like one of the joys of this of this genre in particular is uh -huh. that even like even with again, you know, with Anaconda, I mean, I knew it was gonna be snakes. I didn't know a whole lot else. You just you go you get you get the basic premise, then everything else that you're you're handed is just like the most delightful chaos for the most part. You know? And we, we have the luxury with with disaster movies too. Like even it's like don't even read anything. Just tell me the title. It's like Stonados. Okay, Megalodon versus Mastodon. Well, I know it's generally gonna go on there. Twister. Like you get the logline and the title, so it's like great. Don't fucking tell me anything else. Tell me, tell me if Casper Van Dien's gonna be there. Tell me if Tracy Lords is gonna be there. But don't spoil me on anything else. So uh, to, to switch topics for a second, guys, because I just. One thing that did you anticipate that there would be a second snake? I don't think in real time I did. I don't think when the first time I saw this, I did. Oh. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't distinguish the two snakes. They're just one. It's just one <laughs> snake. <laughs> fair. Fair okay. enough. I, I didn't. It's it's one snake for Jamel. How about you, Amanda? Did you? Well, so the reason I asked this is because, and I'm starting to realize this is like a pattern in these movies, is that there's always the second one, right? Like right, they think that right. they vanquished it, and then there's a second one, and you're like, oh no, it's bigger. Yeah, it's like yeah, that was the baby. Like <laughs> yeah. So here's my question though: both Ice Cube and J Lo at the end are like relieved that they've killed the second snake. Would you 
if you were in that same situation, be like two snakes, we got them both. Or would you be like, holy shit, there's 70 snakes here. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would probably be on the side of if there are two giant snakes that we've encountered in the 24 hour period, then there must be hundreds. <laughs> There right? must be hundreds, and we're 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 going to die. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. I had at the beginning of that. the movie. There's a guy that you see a guy kill himself because he's encountered yeah. a snake. That would be me at that point, just sort of like <laughs> Danny Trejo. That's right, it's Danny Trejo. It's Danny right, Trejo, yeah. just like really wiry Danny Trejo before he like he's 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 wiry but strong. <laughs> and yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like as I was watching reality index wise for me, I was like. I get it. I get why, because the movie has to end. So yeah, they have to yeah. leave. We've run out of time and money. Yes, yes. But I we would are rewinding assume, the film. Yeah, I would personally assume at this point mm. that the river is made of giant snakes. That's a totally practical assumption. But there was a lot of relief. I mean, you know, I, I hope that I hope for the sake of the ecosystem, there were multiple giant snakes. Yes. I hope that there were more. I hate to think of the, you know, the last, the, the last of them being gone. Jamel, I'm curious, do you now, do you have, when you were asked, like, what movie do you want to bring to this? Was Anaconda an easy answer? Because like, do you, do you dabble in disaster movies? Do you have a rope? Do you have a, a broad palette for disaster movies? Or is this kind of an exception to the rule? I mean, I think I think I will watch any disaster movie. Okay. Like, I, I think I think I, I will have a good time with them regardless. I'm looking at my movie shelf right now and I have like a whole like Godzilla section. Oh, rad. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I definitely reached out to you specifically because I saw you tweeting possibly about Anaconda. And I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> hold on. This man who I very much respect also watches the trash that we watch. Oh, no, this has to happen now. So I, I think you, you might count yourself as a disaster diva, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I, I I, mean, I so I like Anaconda. I do. You know, I haven't watched a <clears throat> disaster movie in a minute. But like if if day after tomorrow comes on if i'm like if i'm like flipping through yeah. a streaming a streaming channel and day after tomorrow's there i'll watch it yeah 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 that's I'll a watch real 2012 we watched twister not too long ago um and i was like man this movie this movie it it rules it whips this is a great <laughs> yeah it holds up it holds so up well. so fucking well wow it was Joe it's such is a one of our great genre heroines of all time She's it has, the extreme. It has one of the best looking steaks in movie in movie history. That, yes, the meal that Aunt Meg <laughs> serves the the plate the the plate the table in Hook, and the steak and eggs at Aunt Meg's house. Oh no no no! The, the mashed two, potatoes and gravy. The two greatest cinema meals of all time, all time. That pan has been cooking fat in it for 150 years. Yeah. And those are the best steaks you've ever had from the cows in the front yard. Aunt Meg's grandmother absolutely killed a man with that frying pan. And it's <laughs> just brown seasoned gravy. by it. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like salivating. <laughs> I, love that, I love that as a touch point, like whenever people we talk, cause we've now Twister has been brought up multiple times. Every time with different guests, they're always, every single one's like the steak and Twister though, because it is such an iconic movie meal. Vegetarians like that is, want the steak and Twister. Oh yeah. It just, <laughs> like, I want to know everything that the food artists did for that particular oh, steak. God. I mean, it look. it's like, it's like that steak looks incredible. And then like, um, 
Joey Pants eating that steak in the Matrix is like the best anyone's ever eaten steak the, on That screen. is the best bite of steak anybody <laughs> has ever had in all of humanity. That huge, beautiful red bite of meat seared. Oh my God. I watched, I rewatched all the matrices before going into the new one. And I was like, well, I wonder if that steak still looks as good. And when he takes that bite, I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that steak still looks as good. That, that's a practical effect right there. Now, do we feel... Do we feel we are ready to, to move forward into what this movie was really about? Are there uh, any last yeah. thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm ready to pr- proceed. Amanda, right. do you have any thoughts? Um, you know, I think this one was pretty straight going in. I was, cause I'm always like trying to decide in advance. I'm a, a, kind of, okay, what do I think this movie's going to be about? And then mm. I get through it. And so initially I was like, well, snakes, it's going to be about dicks. It's going to be about the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. And it was not. I think that this was a movie about um, basically like on a man's. I think this is a movie about man's arrogance and insistence on going where we don't belong. Mm -hmm. And um, the people who and the and specifically like the people who are affected by the decisions of others to go where we don't belong. Mm -hmm. J-Lo and Ice Cube don't want to make that. Don't want to do that shortcut. They don't want to take this trip. They respect the river. Mm hmm. You've got dickhead, you've got the dickhead, like, narrator guy. That's natural. <laughs> like, he's not a naturalist. He's sort of like a David Attenborough. Yeah, fake worse. David Attenborough. Fake, fake David, David Attenborough. Yeah. Just like a generic mm. British colonial guy. Um, and so you've got him, and then you've obviously, you've got, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Saran. Or oh, yeah, John Voight. Yeah, John Voight's character. Um, and they are the ones who are pushing to go there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, the people who don't want to, but are dragged along anyway. And I think that that is very similar to what happens, what is happening and has happened in terms of man's treatment of the planet and going mm-hmm. places where we don't necessarily belong and taking things that we don't necessarily deserve or want or need. Um, you know, we talked about this in, in the, in the uh, what's it called? And the don't look up episode. Sorry. I'm kind of like still figuring it out, but I think that we talked about the don't look up episode that, the people who are responsible for the bulk of climate change are not the ones who are being affected. Right. Yeah. And the people who are responsible for climate change are not the, are not the ones being like, we're told we have the power to change it, but we don't. It's a very small group of people who has that power. And then as a result, it affects all of us. And I think similarly, not everybody wants to go hunt down the killer snakes, (laughs) but everyone becomes affected by it. And so I think it's sort of that microcosm of the powerful, there's a powerful people. And then there are the rest of us who are affected by the decisions of those people. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm going to land having kind of talked my way into that thought that I do that all the time. Jamel, would you like to go next? Sure. I, I, you know, this movie had three writers. I'm sure there's a version of the script that is very (laughs) high minded, but I think that the movie as it stands is about how the river can kill you in a thousand ways. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be inarguable. That is inarguable. Mm -hmm. I think, I I think that's the heart of the film. Uh, And also you shouldn't trust uh, strange, greasy uh, Paraguayan uh, snake hunters. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I will never pick up a hitchhiker on the river. I think that don't pick up hitchhikers <laughs> on the river is a, like, I'll pick them up when I'm on road trips. Never. If I'm on a river, <laughs> there's a, the, the literal drifter that you need to be <laughs> mindful of. Um, and I think, I think for me, I will go with, uh, not everything needs to be found. Oh, not everything needs to be found. This like one of the, one of the, I love the, like one of the last great mysteries of the Amazon. It's like, uh, you sure 
it's pretty fucking big. Like just because you're you're aware of a scope of mysteries doesn't mean there aren't things that you don't even know that you don't even know. So not everything needs to be found, like the giant anaconda, like the people of the mist, and not everything is for everyone. So just fucking leave it alone. Just fucking leave it alone. That's what it is for me. All right. Are we doing any fantasy casting on this, Jordan? Do you want to sub anybody in? I really, I like what everyone's doing so much. Eric Stoltz is a perfect actor to be fridged, mm-hmm. to be suspended, to be like in basically to be Laurie Stroded from Halloween Kills in the hospital the entire time. And like, I'm not taking this boat from Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube. I'm not. I'm not saying Kari Wurr, you don't get to keep this role where you get to keep your clothes on. And Owen Wilson, <laughs> sure. John Voight couldn't imagine somebody else doing what the fuck he did in this movie. This was like, this is this is 1997's Joker by Jared Leto is like what this John Voight performance <laughs> is. Like leaving fucking rats in people's shoes, just being a, a, as much a menace. I have no idea. I don't know if any of this is true, but I can just imagine him being just as much of a menace as Jared Leto was sort of rumored to have been on the set of Suicide Squad. So yeah, can't can't take him off the board. So it's it stays in put in place for me. And the Anaconda did great. Wouldn't replace. Oh no, you can't you can't change that Anaconda. They did no. fantastic performances. The screen. I mean, hard for Anacondas to get work these days too. So you don't mm-hmm. want to you don't want to. That's true. Don't take things away from the practical anacondas. They're they're the the digital revolution is 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 putting them in the unemployment line. So no, not at all. One thing I do want I didn't mention before, but I do want to call out is the scream that the anaconda lets out. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I just want anaconda scream. That has to be a movie. I I I I had to Google can anaconda scream because I was like, (laughs) I need to know the answer on this. But you know how like when you watch sounds like something you Google at three o'clock in the morning. You're just like unable to sleep. All of yeah. my, all of my, I almost made a video of just showing all of my Googles that I did during while watching Anaconda. <laughs> but you know, how like when you watch Jurassic Park for the first or any time and the T-Rex roars and you're like, that is exactly what a T-Rex sounds like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The Anaconda screaming in Anaconda <laughs> is the opposite of that feeling. I don't know what an Anaconda <laughs> screaming sounds like. But I can promise you it doesn't sound like the noise that animal emits. It the anaconda screaming in anaconda is putting a crab in in boiling water. Like it's that it's that same, but like I, you know what? I want it. Who is the Foley artist or sound designer that put because like I, I did a piece once on the the yeah. sound effect for Godzilla, like the, the Godzilla scream from the 2014 Godzilla movie. I fact-checked a piece for Wired about how they made that. And it, it talked about like the blend of sounds that they did practically and digitally to make this Godzilla scream. And one of them was like, there's like an industrial fan blowing in a room with a concrete floor where they're like pulling a steel grate across the concrete to get it to make that shrieking sound. And then of course they run it through all these filters. And we had this cool video that went along with it where they're playing it. I don't know, maybe it was a Fox back lot. They like hooked it up to a speaker system because they wanted to hear how it sounded like reverberating through buildings. So they hooked it up to the PA on like the Fox City back lot area. And just like there's this video of the, the dino scream, the kaiju scream pouring out over this back lot. It was like, somebody fucking made that. Like that is, and like there was like human screams involved in it too. Whose human scream was run through a thousand filters to make anacondas scream? It was one through six filters. <laughs> yeah. It was not that many filters. And it was amazing. <laughs> like, 
I I don't normally criticize movie like these movies for not having good effects, like whatever, like the effects are the effects of the time and you're working with what you've got. But like that sound, man, that anaconda, <laughs> sound, man. like the anacondas were great otherwise. But when it screamed, that was <laughs> the the least effective. It does feel a little bit like it's, you know, they're in post-production. They're like, this anaconda has to do something. Besides- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we need a little dynamic anaconda here? Yeah, it's, like, caught, on a, it's caught on a lure and like it's thrashing around, but we need something more to really convey how distressed it is. Yeah. And then they just were like, get your assistant Gina in here and see what happens. You know what it and- sounded similar to is I watched a movie last night uh, that I'd seen before called The Loved Ones. It's a movie Amanda will never, ever fucking watch. I, I, generally a- speaking, if you say, you know what I watched last night, 90% of the time, the answer will be Amanda will never fucking watch that. It's a torturous, uh, very fun horror movie from Australia. And yeah. there is a character is a k- kidnapped and has bleach shot into his throat. And it, the anaconda scream sounds like that guy crying out for help see and that's evocative in that situation (laughs) (laughs) it is a like wraith screaming in the night for help yeah oh that's that is horrifying (laughs) that is not the worst thing that happens to him i watched marry me last (laughs) night And I would have watched it twice, right? If yeah. given the opportunity, mm-hmm. I, I watched I watched uh, Scorsese's Cape Fear, so I feel like I'm more I'm more I'm more on Jordan's wavelength. That's a fucking to... gorgeous '90s right there. Wow. Oh, wow. I, I had never seen it before, and it like rocketed mm-hmm. to my my top Scorsese's. It's it is Isn't it incredible. It is incredible. It looks incredible. It you know the weird thing is it. It has all, all many of the camera movements and sort of like you know touches of Scorsese, but it actually looks like a De Palma. Yes, it looks a lot like a De Palma to me, and I think it it's was originally a Spielberg movie that they he they like swapped films that they were working on because Spielberg oh, was like, I can't do this movie, and I think it was like I don't remember what like what camera maybe it was like Schindler's List that like Scorsese was attached to, and they were like. Actually, let's just switch a this. And that's how Scorsese ended up making Schindler, uh, making Cape Fear. Wow. Scorsese's Schindler's List is a movie I want to see. Yeah. It's a very different film. <gasps> oh my God. That's like wow. that's like all my life I a- wanted to be a factory owner. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a trailer. That is a fake trailer you would see in like another Tarantino grindhouse double bill. I, mean, I was going like, to say like, I think Tarantino Scorsese's kind of thought Schindler's he was list. making Scorsese Schindler, Schindler's List to a degree with the Hateful Eight. I, it, it's not not what he was, it's, it's, he was not. doing. Yeah. But yes, um, I, I, I thank oh. you for bringing up Cape Fear. I love to mention that movie whenever I get the chance. And you're so right about that. Like the palm, like with the shutters and like that intense claustrophobic camera lo- lo- Lots of the split diopter shots. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's like very lurid in yeah, a way that Scorsese normally isn't. So, um, so stylish, so stylized. And not that Scorsese is not a stylized director, but so stylized in the way that like a blowout or a dress to kill would be. Dress to Kill was the movie that I had in the back of my head my entire time I was watching um, Cape Fear. But I, I bring up Cape Fear to say that if I were going to swap anyone out mm. in this movie, mm-hmm. and this would be like a better version of the movie, it would be to take out um, John Voight and replace him with 1962 Robert Mitchum. Oh, my God. A thing about Cape Fear is that you watch that and you're like, this is one of the most harrowing film experiences I've ever had. And then you watch the Robert Mitchum version and you're like, how did they make something this fucked up 
in like 1960. Like oh, that, yeah. the original version of that movie is still so haunting. It's almost shocking to experience. Cause it's like, dude, I thought we had like a softer sensibility then, but that movie is fucking frightening with Robert Mitchum. Oh, I mean, for whatever reason, Robert Mitchum just had, had this like, <coughs> had this run where he was scaring children. I mean, Night of the Hunter <laughs> is him just terrorizing children. And then Cape Fear, uh, of course, he's terrorizing a child. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it's like, yeah, if you, you, you want to get a big, scary man who's kind of charismatic in his own way to scare the shit out of a child, get Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum, who like looks like he's like could be your trusty community principal. Like there's something yeah. about that square jaw and that hair and those broad shoulders that feels so that feels like what we've been meant to believe is trustworthy. And then he just like gets that smirk on his face. And you're like, you're the most evil human being that's actually ever existed. <laughs> that's I don't I mean, I, I don't want to go too off topic, but that I just I, I do like waxing uh, uh, about uh, Robert Mitchum. That's the <laughs> thing about him. He has like this like Milton Satan vibe about him. Yeah. Like yeah, so charming yeah. and so charismatic, but like a total snake, like someone who someone who will ruin your life in a heartbeat and not think twice about it. Mm-mm. And just like he he can deploy that to such he can deploy that to such, you know, effect in a movie like Cape Fear and a movie like that of the Hunter. Um, but also sort of like he can turn that charm on in a, a much more benign way and mm-hmm. sort of like in the in Farewell My Lovely, um, or any of his or any of his any, any of his later work as an older man. I don't know. I love that guy. I I I'm look like a, forward to your single topic mini season on Robert <laughs> Mitchum. Like I, I love a mini season focused podcast and your Robert Mitchum one is one I'm going to listen to. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of all sort of like the, the craggly bastards of like the fifties and sixties, oh, yeah. <laughs> like your Sterling Hayden's, your Robert Mitchum's, your Robert Ryan's. Give me all those guys. Craggly bastards. <laughs> a craggly bastard is exactly what is appropriate to put in for John Voight in this yeah. movie. That's a craggly fucking bastard. I mean, Craggly Bastards with Jamel Bowie is, is a great <laughs> name for a podcast. I'm not gonna lie. That sounds like that sounds like a ringer podcast. I, I, yeah, it does. <laughs> that sounds like a ringer podcast. You and you and Shay, you and Shay Serrano doing Craggly Bastards with totally different perspectives. Um, okay, so that's casting then. I've got I've got my fantasy cast. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'm making only one. So it, we're remaking it. I'm bringing all the cast back. <laughs> in their yes. current age. So J-Lo. I think that's great. Back. Yeah, no, I want them all. I'm keeping them all with the exception of John Voight. I am replacing John Voight with Kate McKinnon doing John Voight <laughs> in this film. Okay, Paul Feig <laughs> clearly is directing this movie. I just, I want everyone else to play it 100% straight. And then Kate M- McKinnon to be the one babies they're just babies because once i straight up be an snl sketch i would be there opening night (laughs) as i like i was the first couple minutes i'm like why what is this what does he remind me of and i couldn't figure it out and then he said something i was like holy shit it's kate mckinnon doing her weird like when she just does an accent and an accent you know when she's like she's not trying to be someone specific she's just doing her i'm a weirdo accent it's that (laughs) accent (laughs) and from that moment on i only saw it the filter of Kate McKinnon in a ton of like 
prosthesis in order to become John Voight. And it changed this film for me. (laughs) I bet it did. So that's how I'm remaking this is I am making this complete. Everyone's going to play it straight. She is going to be the only one who's just Kate McKinnoning all over the place. And we're going to bring back the anacondas. And this is going to be our tent pole for the blockbuster for 2024. Great. You know, we're signed up. You know, we're signed up. So, so from, how many from Disaster Girls Productions? How many does how many towering infernos then does Anaconda get? Why don't you start, Jamal? What's the how many can one I one to five and out of five. give fractions? Yes. So we normally can, give, you can do you can do quarters if you want. Yeah. I think I'll give this like four and a half because it's just right. it is it is not a good movie. But it <laughs> yeah. is 90 minutes of just it's just fun. It's a fun. I have, so I have yet to meet a person who, if you put this on, they're not going to have a good time. It is just like, it's a good time of a movie from yeah. beginning mm-hmm. to end. If you had a legitimate, if you have like a, if you have like a critical gripe with Anaconda, like it's like, fuck off. Like, no, we know, <laughs> we, we know. That's not why we're here. It's almost like, well, oh God, Anaconda. Like, yeah, Anaconda. I'm not saying you need to think it's a good movie. I'm saying you need to take it on its terms and just give yourself over to right. it. Uh, yeah. on, on the movie's own terms, the movie, all the movie says to you is you're going to watch a film about people being attacked by an anaconda. <laughs> yeah. It delivers. It delivers. <laughs> Our movie, screaming flaming snake. Movie tries to be absolutely nothing more than it is. It's mm-hmm. not like a mac and cheese that's been dressed up with truffle sauce. It's no. just... It's yeah, beautiful. there's no lobster in here. It's yeah, just... this is craft singles. Right. And God bless it for it. So Amanda, first watch then. First yeah. watch in 2022. What is what is Anaconda for you? I'm going with it. It's it's a four and a quarter for me. Um okay. it's not it's not my favorite um giant animal attack film, but it is <laughs> fucking solid. That uh-huh. was a fuck. I mean, that is a that is a top tier. I would put that absolutely in my top five of, mm-hmm. of giant animal attacks movies. And it is, I think, critical to the canon. Yeah. You know, we need, you You need an anaconda in order to get Deep Blue Sea and in order to get those other ones. And it's fucking good, man. That I can't believe time. I forgot to mention Deep Blue Sea in my like catalog of 90s animal movies. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, we we just did that one and it's, it is. It's fresh in our minds. holds the fuck up too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, fucking anaconda, man. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Like, I, authentically. I, and, and I, sorry, it's, Sorry, sorry, just for another no. Deep Blue Sea thought. Um, whenever I think about Deep Blue Sea, I think about the thing that I miss uh, from modern movies, and that is the rap song that summarizes the yeah. plot. Uh, uh, feature, usually featuring someone who is in the movie, but doesn't yeah. have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I love I love that song, Deepest Bluest. Um, when I saw Venom, that first Venom, I was like, I enjoy this. This is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, there's like Eminem does that like Venom rap. I'm like, Five, like five stars, best movie yeah. of the year. The I I had a conversation recently with somebody who brought up I had forgotten how much I love the banger at the end of the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Tur- Ninja Turtles reboot Megan Fox edition Shell Shock. That is that is a murderer's row of modern day rap stars, and that is a fucking bop. That is a fucking bop. That is we do miss that. Like what did God. We are Roland Emmerich appreciators on this pod. We can't purport to have loved Godzilla 1998, but you know what we love? Oh, come God, with that, me. By I was about soundtrack. to say, Puff Daddy, Puff Daddy, Jimmy Page, come with me. That movie, yeah. ju- that song justifies the existence of that movie. If that movie needed to happen to get Diddy and Jimmy Page together to make Come With Me, okay, great. 
Uh, Amanda was just about to say something about the soundtrack, and I just want to quickly say that the best thing about that soundtrack, besides uh, Come With Me, the two best things are first, uh, the Jamiroquai song, uh, Deeper Underground, which is great. Yeah. And But but primarily, the version of Brain Stew by Green Day that just has Godzilla <laughs> going in for no reason. I think that... You, if you're going to have a giant animal in your film and then you're going to have a soundtrack associated with that film, you have to have the sa- that animal as a featured artist on your soundtrack. You That's really a requirement. Should. Yeah, you really is, particularly if it's going to sc- scream like this anaconda. Yeah. I want, I see. Now, interestingly, this did not have a particular, because I was like, didn't seem like this movie had particularly a soundtrack. Yeah, a Which one? In about, yeah, it was about a it. score. And I feel like we were really deprived of Ice Cube doing an anaconda rap yeah maybe he was like listen i'm really committing to film right now like i'm not like trying to be a crossover yeah. like i'm not trying to be both i am committing to being a film star right now god what if j-lo's first breakout song had been the song from the anaconda movie? i wish we had a j-lo dance track from the soundtrack of anaconda that we you know better, movie does better, have better world better timeline 9-11 wouldn't have happened <laughs> <laughs> the butterfly effect would absolutely have obliterated certain humanitarian crises we can be <laughs> sure of that Two of them, Trump never gets elected. And we are we are singing in the streets together. Oh, it's a better America with that. You know what movie does have a great J-Lo soundtrack? <laughs> Marry me. <laughs> sorry. A, friend, sorry, sorry. a friend was watching it last night texting me. He's like, I can't wait to go stream these songs after this movie is done. I, I would I would take one of these songs and put it onto the Anaconda soundtrack just so that we can say we had it. <laughs> Um, Because that movie has an abundance, has too many hits. (laughs) It's too a a movie of too many hits. It is. It's a movie of too many hits. Uh, George, how many how many towering infernos you given this? Yeah, even without a J Lo song or an Ice Cube an Ice Cube song, it's four point five for me. It's the definitive snake disaster movie. It's it's the it's the snake disaster movie of record. All other snake disaster movies spring forth from it. What an ensemble cast. In, in hindsight, looking at that, like delivered at the time, but you look at it now, it's like, wow, they got all those people together in one place in this year and they made this movie. Um, and not creepy, gazy, weird like that. There's no shitty disaster child to have to worry about. That is you true. see snake justice where you want it. You get the great, ga- you get the great gag moments of the snake in the belt, uh, Owen Wilson in the belly, the tracheotomy, the flaming snake pillar, like this four out of five. All right. Well, Jamel, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Is so there much. anything you want to promote? Is there anything that you do or any places we can find you? All of that <laughs> yeah. good stuff, the usual. Uh, sure. So I, I'm at the New York Times um, on the opinion page. Uh, you can find me. You can read my column. You can yell at me for my column. Your choice. <laughs> Don't yell it. Don't yell at him. Be good. Be, be, be good guests here, guys. Well, and you can you can make your graceful exit then, Jamel. And we are just so thrilled to have had you on the podcast. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, well, I have I have one more thing to plug. Oh, yeah, oh, please, yes. Um, and that is I. So my friend John Gant and I. John is a writer uh, working on a book on the politics of the nineties. We host a podcast called Unclear and Present Danger. What a great title! And, and we are watching more or less chronologically every political thriller released in the 90s and kind of just trying to like situate them within the politics of the post-Cold War period. Um, Amazing. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We uh, try to find some interesting take on these movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I, I think if you like, if you like a movie like Patriot Games, if you like a movie like The Russia House or Blown Away, um, Mm -hmm. Arlington Road, anything like that, 
those are the movies we're talking about. Your sneakers, your Ronins, like all of those. Um, uh, you, Will you have sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue, the Wesley? Yes. I yes. Wesley's There's like seventy of, of the these movies. Like I, I spent <laughs> yeah. like an afternoon just sort of trying to find every single one, and I was like, I've seen many of these. There are many that I had never heard of. So. <laughs> yes, that's discovery. Yeah, I think that's that sounds like such a great fun. Yeah, podcast. I absolutely am going to. I'm going to. Oh yeah, this is podcast. so. That, that is so right. up your alley, Jor. Yeah, that's 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 tremendous. Thank you for thank, thank you, you for again. bringing such a level of class and integrity to this podcast, Jamel. Thank you for bringing your your imprimatur to the disaster. <laughs> Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, uh, this it took, I feel like this took a while to get arranged, but I'm glad, <laughs> glad we could make it happen. No, thank yes. you. And thank you uh, very much. Thank you. And off air, if you ever, I don't know technically if Air Force, I've never seen Air Force One, but if Jordan, do you think that, I mean, it's not really, it's, it's terrorism, right? It's not like a the plane malfunctions. Yeah, no, that's 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 terrorism. That's not okay. Terrorism. But I'm just saying, if you ever want to come on and do like Air Force One with, if you ever want to come, please come back. You're always if there's ever crossover between the movies you cover and the movies. Yeah, we if cover, you, you ever want to know, if you ever want to come back, like please come back. You were lovely. Thank yeah. you for your time. <laughs> I, I I don't know, like Air Force One is terrorism, but it also is like a very disaster movie like plot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like if we've done airplane airport, which is not like. <laughs> It's the most boring guy. Fucking tangentially a disaster movie. Fucking boring movie. Oh man, Air Force One is not a boring movie. The president just punches the shit out of people. It's (laughs) so much fun. I just want to hear Harrison Ford growl, get off my plane. I mean, that's that's the only thing I know about this film. And I really do like, but it's one of those ones I just won't watch unless I have to watch it for the podcast. So anyway, please, if you ever want to try and coordinate again, um, we would love to have you back. If you guys have not done any Godzillas, I'm happy to do a Godzilla. We have we've done, done some, but there some. are so many. Yeah. We've done tons. Shin Godzilla. We we did Kongzilla months. So we did like the reboot Godzillas, but we yeah. haven't done classic Godzillas. We okay. also didn't do the original Godzilla, did we? We did. We didn't. Or not like the original reboot Godzilla. We did King of the Monsters. We, didn't oh, yeah, we do didn't Godzilla. do Gareth Edwards. Yeah. Gareth. Yeah. Gareth so Edwards. we've got a lot of. And then, yeah, we've 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 got a lot of ground that we could. Yeah. Do. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Because it's like you could do Godzilla 54, which is like a, a legitimately great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, it's sort of like, it's so good and like haunting and mm-hmm. like troubling that I'm not sure it would fit the vibe, but it is. Oh, it we've is done haunting of... and troubling. Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah, we've, yeah. We've, we watched it, South Korean disaster South Korean disaster podcast. movies. Ah. <laughs> yeah. We've done that. We did the, uh, what, was it Failsafe? Which feel is, safe. Yeah, we did feel safe. Oh, the, God, such a good movie. So fuck. I that had was never one, seen it before. And that, that was, was like a, that was a film class movie where I had no idea. It was just like, oh, we're watching feel safe today. And that ended. I was like, well, that's one of the best movies. That was one of those like, this is just pure discovery. God, that was thrilling yeah. to watch. We were doing a Sydney Lumet thing. So we're just like watching mm-hmm. as much Sydney Lumet as we could. And I remember just watching feel safe and being like, are they really going to like, end, are they really going to go for it? Yeah. And then, then like they, you know, they do, and it's sort of like, holy fuck, holy like, fucking shit, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, completely. Sort of like so- in, in Hitchcock's uh, sabotage when he blows up that kid, yeah. And like, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, he's not gonna blow up the kid, is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It, it turned. I was like, turned to my wife, was like, he fucking killed that kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is okay. We leveled up. <laughs> 
So yeah, don't don't hesitate to bring yeah. uh, to bring the the seriousness. We'll okay, we'll, right. we'll try and coordinate on that uh, for down the line for you. This what this episode will probably come out in. We've got a little bit of a backlog. So this will probably be coming out in March. Um, and thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And you My have pleasure. a great thank rest you of your evening. Have a good rest of your evening. Feel better. Thank you. Well, that was fucking amazing. That was fantastic. We are so much classier I than can't. we were at the start of this episode. Just casually having a New York Times columnist on to <laughs> honestly discuss the cinematic excellence that is Anaconda. And I'm sincerely psyched about that podcast. Oh, yeah. I, I, as soon wow. as he said 90s political thrillers, I was like, wow, that is just so many of the Jordan interests combined. Yeah, that's really sweet. I'm I'm definitely going to check that out. And uh, I think, I, I feel like our listeners will, I feel like it's I a base of people a, who want to go back to the 90s and check out political thrillers too. Yeah, I think that that's a lot of overlap right there in <laughs> yeah. terms of people's interests and things that they enjoy watching. Yes. Um, but so in, what, what are we watching then? What are we yeah. watching next? So next up we'll be watching, we're going overseas. Mm-hmm. To uh, the, I almost said Norwegia. What is wrong with me? <laughs> Norwegia. To Norwegia. We'll be going overseas for the Norwegian film The Burning Sea from the guys who got brought you The Quake and The Wave, a sure to not be emotionally devastating film, The Burning Sea. And we we have not yet covered The Quake on this podcast. No. So we should make sure to do that. Well, I've um, been told that this is not in continuity with. Right, right. But yeah. just like you should see the conclusion to the uh, that family's saga uh, I, I in, in the quake. And yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to to see that emotionally harrowing situation. I can't blame you. I can't I, imagine like, good things happen to that family once they move to another place and yeah. then happen to have another disaster. Yeah. And and so, yeah, we're going to throw ourselves into the burning sea. We're going to the burning sea and we will be joined by uh, Scott Weinberg who is uh, going to be coming with us to a podcast. We'll be coming and joining us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that is available. It'll be on video on demand. Start, yeah. So you can find that there. And uh, in the meantime, Jordan, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And you can listen to my fairly newly launched podcast on the Maximum Fun Network Feeling Scene. By the time this comes out, uh, you will be able to listen to amazing conversations with the brilliant and hysterical Guy Branham and yours and mine, our yellow jackets queen, Jasmine Savoy Brown, um, and a nice little backlog of conversations you can check in on where we're discussing the ways in which char- people feel um, characters in cinema reflecting them and the ways in which they don't and talking about the limitations of the medium in that way. And we're having some very good and substantial conversations. So please check in on that. Amazing. And you can find me. I'm Amanda Smith says on Twitter. Okay. Um, and that is where I am. <laughs> and I, I she like, is, is she is harassing else? a friend of hers into watching Jurassic Park is what she's doing. That's really it. I mean, that's about <laughs> That's my day most days. But in fairness, though, I'm not harassing. I am trying to gently yeah. persuade through ongoing measures something that will add to her yes. life. It will absolutely add. It's a it's a it's a service campaign. It really is. This is something that needs. I, I'm almost sad she's been deprived for so many years, and I'm just trying to broaden her horizons. Well, and thank God it's still one of the best looking movies ever made. It's so fucking. You funny. watch it now, like that movie looks better than. Movies made now. Like, I mean, I watched those the dinosaurs trailer. are real. Yeah, 
the That's trailer it. for Jurassic World, as I'm watching it, the whole time I watched that trailer during the Super Bowl, I was just like independent of any of my feelings about the franchise, <laughs> which you have. I have strong opinions on, but independent of any of that, I was watching. I was like, man, it's the Jur- Jurassic Park dinosaurs just looked so much fucking better. They, and it's just, it's just true. The the new, uh, like, you know, the the sort of reboot franchise Jurassic movies, they look spectacular. They they are- yeah. They this are is not a wonders on. of technology. They don't look as good as Jurassic Park. Like it just, or they, the dinosaurs don't look real. They don't, they don't look physical and tangible. And they, they look like incredible just, testaments to what we can create using digital yeah. art, but they it don't look the, like the real mastery dinosaurs. of technology. It is not, holy shit. They reanimated dinosaurs and yep. put them into a film across yeah. playing opposite Laura Dern. That's exactly, yeah. That's still what Jurassic Park feels like today. It, it's it's just stunning. Mm-hmm. Such a good, such a good goddamn movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a, such a fuck, oh my God. Ugh. Anyway, um, so I'm on, I'm on Twitter, but most importantly, we are disaster underscore pod on Twitter. Um, we're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. Guys, please rate and review us. Give us five stars on all of your streaming platforms. We would love it. Leave, leave us a review. It makes it makes us really happy. Whenever we get a new review, I like screenshot it and send it to the chat. It's true. And use a lot of all caps and talk about how lovely it is. So guys, just just do that for us. <laughs> I don't we do this lot. for you. Do that for us. I don't have a lot in my life that I would say brings me joy the way <laughs> that praise of others, particularly strangers, brings me joy. Right. Yeah. So guys, help my small world. <laughs> yeah. My small world, my small Jurassic world, my small Jurassic world. (laughs) Anyway, we'll be back next week, guys, for the burning seat. Yeah, let's uh, (laughs) all probably have our hearts broken together. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>